All right. Well, we are continuing in our year of biblical literacy. And if you're following along with our reading plan uh, today, you've read through Exodus chapter 18. And so it's been a, quite a journey. We were talking about it in our Bible study just a while ago about just how, you know, this, this first part of the Bible is probably the easiest part to read um, because of all the exciting and interesting stories that we're reading, right? And so it's really easy to follow along and read and get into it whenever you read the stories like the ones in Exodus with the Red Sea and the plagues and the Egyptians and, and the manna from heaven. And those are exciting. Um, in the next few weeks when we get into things like Leviticus and Numbers, that's going to be more challenging, right? And so my encouragement to you is just to stick with it and push through that because then it picks up again. Right. And we get back into the story. And so um, today well, I'll do one more kind of introductory message um, and then uh, just kind of talking about the word of God and the scriptures and what they mean for us. And then starting next Sunday, um, we're going to be going through the beginning. So I know that in our readings we'll be well into Exodus by next week. But uh, in my teaching time during my sermon, I'm going to pick up at the very beginning in Genesis next week on Sunday uh, during our worship time. And just start with the story of God and just the beginning of creation and humanity and where it all went from there. And so just remember that if you're ever gone on a Sunday, I am recording all of our messages and putting them on our podcast. And we put those on Facebook as well. So just uh, tune in and make sure you're caught up. And if you're having trouble keeping up with the reading every week, just know this. You're in good company because it isn't easy for all of us all the time, right? I can admit that I skipped a couple of days this week and I had some catching up to do. And so there were some times whenever I was reading six or seven chapters in one day. And so just, you know, break it up as you need to. Find creative ways to get engaged in the scriptures. The whole purpose of this is not just to have an accomplishment under our belts, right? Not just to say at the end of the year, hey, look at us. We read through the whole Bible, right? We can be proud of ourselves and pat ourselves on the back. It's not, that's not the point, right? And the point is not just that so we can like know what the Bible says and just have some knowledge. The point is to, yes, grow in knowledge, but also to grow in understanding and for, to let the Bible shape us throughout the year. And so that's what we are hoping and praying for, uh, for all of, uh, all of you. And so that can only happen if we're committed to uh, the reading. So I want to start this morning by just reading a scripture to you um, in Hebrews chapter 4. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. And chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. So today I want to talk to you about the power of the scriptures. We've talked about the purpose of scripture. We've talked about uh, being students of scripture so far. And today I want to talk about the Bible's influence and the power of the word of God in our lives and what God wants to or is able to do in our lives with the word of God. And so Hebrews chapter 4, just two verses this morning, uh, verses 12 and 13. Very common, well-known scripture. Here's what it says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you for this time here, Lord. I pray that you would just guide me as I speak, that you would help me to clearly communicate uh, the power and the influence that your word has for us, Lord, and, and what you want to accomplish in our lives. Lord, thank you for the scriptures and what they uh, teach us about you and about your plan for the world and for humanity. Thank you for bringing us to a knowledge of our Savior, Lord, and for bringing us into a relationship with him. I pray that you, that you would help us, Lord, to walk faithfully with Jesus today and every day. 
Lord, help us in our commitment to read the Bible. I pray that you would give us a a passion for it, a hunger for the Word of God, Lord, that it would not just be something that we that we feel obligated to do, or that we have to, to check off on our list of things to do for each day, and just so we can say that we're caught up and we're doing our job. But Lord, that we would have a hunger that drives us, Lord God, to sit and open up the Word or listen to the Word being read to us, Lord, and just dive into it and, and to learn more. And so, God, we just praise you and, and thank you for what you taught us already so far. And we ask you to just be with us again today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this scripture here in Hebrews 4 is a pretty well-known verse. Um, and I think it's one that a lot of people over the years you have used to kind of build up an appreciation of the Bible, right? So you, you equate this with when it says the word of the Lord or the word of God is living and active. You say, well, that's the Bible, right? So the Bible is living and active and it's powerful and it's strong and things like that. And so we use it, this verse here, to argue for the power and the influence of the written word of God. Right. We refer to these verses and talk about the scriptures kind of as a, as a weapon. Right. So the Bible talks about here being sharper than a two edged sword over in Ephesians. Paul talks about it being the sword of the spirit. Right. Or the sword. Of the, and, and so we, we know that that there's this this um, this aspect of the scriptures where it's not just a book. It isn't just like a set of words or a document that tells us stories about God, but that there's power behind it. But unfortunately, what's happened over the years, I think, that as, as people have, have handled this book, is that they've also begun to mishandle this book and use the power in kind of a negative way, right? And so do you know of anyone in your lifetime who has ever tried to use the Bible as a weapon in a negative way or a harmful way, right? Maybe as a weapon to kind of like knock down other religions or other beliefs, right? And to say, well, here's what the Bible teaches, and this is why you're wrong and you're all going to hell, right? And things like that. Or, or people who have tried to, like, maybe not physically beat you over the head with it, although that may have happened at some point in your lives. But, 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 but just taking the scriptures and kind of, like, beating people with it and trying to force it into their lives, right? People who aren't believers, who have no allegiance to the scriptures, or have no sense of value for the word of God. Sometimes people, Christians over the years, have, have tried to use the Bible in its weaponized kind of uh, form, right, to try to make people believe what they believe or to try to, to, try to make people um, act a certain way or, or condemn them or, or convict them and do the job of, of God in their lives, right? It kind of reminds me of a guy I knew from college. I told you the story before of how he went door to door in the neighborhood around the campus to go spread the gospel, and he knocked on a door, and a Muslim man opened it. And the first words out of, out of my friend's mouth um, were, Sir, do you know that if you don't trust in Jesus, you're going to die and go to hell? And how do you think that man responded to that? Not very happily, right? Um, and so that's, that's a very kind of a harsh approach to sharing the gospel or the good news that's in the Bible. Now, he wasn't wrong, right? I mean, that's biblical. But the point is, we can use the right words of the Bible in the wrong way, right? And, and you know of people who have done that to you and, and how, what kind of an impact has that had on you, right? And so there are people all over the world today, especially in America, who maybe grew up in the church, but are no longer in the church, right? Because at some point in their, la- in their past, in their past experiences with the church or with Christianity, somebody tried to use the Bible as a weapon um, to maybe abuse them or to convict them or to condemn them or to tell them how wrong they were. And so I have family members who grew up in the church just like I did, but for different reasons are, are no longer a part of the church at all and have no interest or desire. And a lot of it can be traced back to 
a preacher in their life use the Bible in a really harsh way and, and kind of use this to knock down everyone else who didn't believe like they did, and they just kind of rubbed them the wrong way. And so because of that, they walked away from the church and ultimately from their faith. And you know people like that, right? And so while we can read this scripture here in Hebrews 4.12 and say, you know, the, the word of God is, is sharper than a two-edged sword, right? And so to, in our minds, it's like it's a sword and it's a weapon. It's a weapon, yes but it's to be used in the right kind of way. And so what we have to understand is that the Bible is not a weapon for us to use against other people. It isn't a weapon for us to use to, to shove verses down people's throat or to beat them over the head with scripture or to make them conform their beliefs to ours. Instead, the Bible as a weapon should strike us first, right? It should be an active and powerful weapon in our lives. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to point out here, that yes, it's living and active and powerful, and it's kind of like a two-edged sword, but it's supposed to be striking you, going to your spirit, your soul, your mind, your way of thinking, and changing you. That's the kind of influence that it should be having, right? And so we have to be careful with how we're handling the scriptures. Yes, they have power, but that power needs to be having an influence in our lives first. And so we can't go around just handling it as if it's some, some magic book either, right? Like, well, as long as I quote scripture, then everything is going to be fine. Or, you know, have, you know people like this, maybe um, if, no matter what kind of problem somebody has, what kind of struggle or situation they're going through, that person's answer is always scripture, right? So, like, so they might come to a Christian and say, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this, I'm struggling with this, do you have any tips for me? And then the, the Christian says, yeah, here's a Bible verse for you, right? And so that person's frequent response is to give them this canned Bible verse, thinking that or implying that if I just quote scripture to you, it's going to solve all your problems, right? And that's not really the case, is it? Because has anyone ever responded to you that way when you've had a struggle or a problem or you needed advice and someone just gave you this canned, taken out of context scripture, right? With the implication that just listen to the word, it'll fix you. It'll solve all your problems, right? Now, that doesn't mean that the Bible is not sufficient to help us deal with our problems. I don't want you to hear me say that. I don't want you to think that I'm saying that the Bible is insufficient or that, or that God can't work through Scripture to help us with our difficulties in life, right? But there has to be a certain aspect of, of handling the Word of God correctly. And that's what God calls us to do first and foremost, right? To not just toss it out there and think that it's going to be this truth bomb that when it goes off, Boom, everything's fixed, right? But to handle it correctly and in the right context and for the right reasons and in the right way, and that is sufficient to help us to discover the truth about God and how God wants us to live, right? So I want us to look at these verses again, and I want us to pay attention to what kind of power and influence the scriptures should be having in our lives. And here's what we don't want to do, okay? especially as we're going through this year of biblical literacy and we're trying to handle the reading of the entire Bible, we don't want to read the scriptures just to learn the stories and say that we know what's in it, right? What's in this book, okay? But we do want to immerse ourselves in the word of God so that the Bible can shape and influence us. That's the kind of power that God wants to exercise in our lives through the reading of his word. And like I said earlier, that happens when we commit ourselves and submit, submit ourselves and let God do that work in our lives, right? The Bible is a powerful book, and God wants to use the words here to shape us and to influence us 
from the inside, not just intellectually, but spiritually. And so let's see how the writer of Hebrews tells us that that takes place. Okay, he says here, going back to our verses in verse 12, the word of God is living and active, right? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the the vision of soul and spirit. So it cuts down deep inside of us and it exposes us. Dave Lomas, who also does the year of biblical literacy at his church, he says this in one of his sermons, we shouldn't just read the Bible. We should let the Bible read us. What do you think that means to let the Bible read us? Well, it means what he's saying right here. He says that it, it pierces to the division of soul and spirit. It says, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. And so God wants to use the word of God first to expose some things about us. So that when we read the scriptures, we're not just learning some stories and memorizing some verses, but we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work through his word, his written word, to convict us. And to reveal some things about us, maybe some areas where we need to submit more to God or let God change us in some things, right? In Romans chapter 12, what does Paul say? He says, be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind, right? In other words, let your way of thinking be renewed. Let your way of understanding God be transformed. If you want transformation in your life, It begins with your mind being renewed and transformed. And that happens by submitting to the word of God. And so God wants to use his word to expose all the wrong things inside of us, maybe the wrong ways of interpreting uh, him or his plan or the gospel or or our need or or the world or, or whatever it may be. God wants to expose our wrong ways of thinking. God wants to expose our wrong affections, right? Our wrong ambitions, God wants to expose our lack of trust, our lack of faith in his word. He wants to expose our our, our sins of rebellion and disobedience and, and ignorance. He wants to bring all those things into the light and teach us the right way to live. We talked about uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, where it says that, that all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, Right? All those reasons, God says, I want to I teach you the right things to believe through my word. I want to convict you of your sin through my word. I want to I train you in righteousness, show you how to live right through my word, right? Those are all the ways that God wants to influence us uh, through the scriptures. And so we don't just read the Bible just to read it. We let the Bible read us. We let it expose some things inside of us that need to change. But first... As we look into these verses, we have to ask the question, when he says here, the word of God is living and active, what is that word of God that he's talking about? Okay, so to understand that, we need to go back a little bit. If you go back to chapter three, in chapter three, in verse 16, what we have here in the book of Hebrews is, and and think about why he calls this book the book of Hebrews, right? Who were the Hebrews? They were the Jews, right? And so, so the, these, these people were, were Jewish Christians who had, they had grown up in Judaism, had become Christians, believing in the gospel. And, and the writer of Hebrews, by the way, I'm saying the writer of Hebrews because we don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Okay, There's a lot of different thoughts and speculation about that. But the writer of Hebrews is writing this letter to these Hebrew Christians, encouraging them in their newfound faith in Jesus. So, so a lot of what, what he's writing about has connections to Old Testament law 
and, and rituals and, and all the different regulations from the law and, and the Torah and all those things and, and also prophecy. And it's connecting the dots between the Old Testament law and the gospel of Jesus and the new covenant. And so he's encouraging these Christians to, you know, they don't have to completely do, do away with their Jewish faith. But as they're adopting this Christian faith and this belief in Jesus, he says, you can still be a, a Jew and also a Christian, but here's how it changes things. Here's what your belief in Jesus changes in your expression of, of your Jewish faith, right? And so he talks about the old covenant, how God did away with that, and he brought about this new covenant in Christ, and he's our high priest, and, and all these things. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, you see him making a lot of mention to stories from the Old Testament that would have been just a part of the culture and the upbringing of these Jewish Christians. These were stories that, that shaped their lives, right? And so in chapter 3, he's talking about this moment in history where the people of Israel are wandering through the wilderness, being led by Moses. We've just read that in our, in our, our Bible reading this week, right? And they're being led by Moses through the wilderness, and, and God is trying to lead them to the promised land. And God has his future plan for them and his future blessing in this land that he's promised to them. But they are refusing to believe. And so that the whole time they're complaining, um, they're not trusting that God's really leading them in that direction. They, they think that Moses has brought them out here to, for them to die, right? How many times do they say, you know, it would have been better for us to just be left in Egypt where we, at least we had food and shelter, but you brought us out here to the wilderness to just die, right? And so they're failing to completely trust in God. In chapter 3, look at verse 16. He says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Okay. When the writer of Hebrews talks about entering God's rest, okay, that has multiple meanings. The first meaning is purely contextual. And so it means literally going into the promised land, this land of rest and abundance, this promised land that God had set aside for the people of Israel, right? He, basically, his plan was for them to follow him through the wilderness on their journey. They were going to experience difficulties, but God was going to provide for them. And then ultimately, they were going to cross that boundary and get to the promised land where they would live happily ever after. And that would be in God's rest. They would be resting in God, enjoying all of God's blessings, right? That was God's ultimate desire for them. I mean, so it says here, though, that they didn't trust in God enough to get there. And so it says that they, they provoked God for 40 years. And so if you go back to the story of Exodus, you see that for 40 years, they wandered around in circles in the wilderness because they were not trusting in God. They were rebelling against God. And because of that, God prevented them from entering into the promised land. In fact, he even prevented Moses. If you remember there that at the end of Moses' life, it says that he died not being able to enter into the promised land with the people of Israel. Instead, Joshua was risen up to lead the people of Israel. And, and the book of Joshua is about them going through these different territories and finally getting there to experience God's rest, right? But for 40 years, the people wandered because of their unbelief and because of their rebellion. But here's the other implication of that word or that phrase, God's rest. In our, in our context, it, it talk, he's talking about spiritual rest. 
He's talking about salvation and forgiveness and justification and a life in relationship with God, right? This, this spiritual blessing of walking with God and being close to him and being known by him. And ultimately, that's God's desire for all of us. That God wants us to enter into his rest and to live in that land of rest with him all the days of our life, right? And so, and so the problem here with the Israelites was that because of their unbelief, they were prevented from entering that rest. And the writer of Hebrews is essentially, he's saying, don't be like them. Don't be rebellious like them. Don't be unbelieving like them. Don't be like them in their, in their lack of trust in God and their lack of faith because that kept them from experiencing all that God had for them, right? He says, God has something in mind for you, but in order to get there, you've got to obey him. You have to believe in him. You've got to trust in him, right? And so now look at chapter four again, but let's go to verses one and two. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, right? He's saying the promise of entering God's rest is still there for us too. But for us, it isn't a physical land that God's leading us to. It's the spiritual rest that God is wanting for us, right? He says, let's fear, let's be careful so that none of us fail to reach it like they did. And then in verse two, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The good news, he says in verse two, good news came to us. That word is the Greek word evangelion, which is where we get the gospel, right? He says the gospel came to us just as it did to them, right? And so in other words, this good news of God's salvation, it's good news that God has, a, has salvation in mind for his people. It came to us. We've heard that message. It came to them too. Then he says there, but the message they heard didn't benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They heard the message, but they didn't believe the message. They didn't submit to the message. They didn't allow the message to have influence in their lives and, and shape them or influence them enough to make them believe in God. So I want to point out something really important to you. In the Greek language, that word for the message is the word logos. It's the word. Okay? So he's saying here, in the Old Testament days, in the Exodus days, as they're wandering through the wilderness, the logos of God, the word of God was delivered to these people. The message of God. If you look in, in, in theology, the logos means this. It means reason. It means word. It's the divine reasoning and the mind of God. Basically, it's the, the knowledge and the truth and the declaration of God communicated to his people. It's the reasoning of God. It's the mind of God communicated to the world. That's what logos means, right? And so whether it was written or spoken doesn't matter. The point is God has a message and he's communicating it to the world. That's logos. It's God speaking something truthful about himself or about his plan to the world. And in the days of Exodus, he says, this message, this logos came to them. And yet they didn't believe it. They didn't believe the word of God. The word of God was not able to have the influence and the power in their lives like it was supposed to, right? Because they distrusted it. So let me ask you this question. If the logos is the word of God, 
And in the Old Testament, it says that they, they, they heard this logos from God. What was that word of God? It wasn't this, right? It wasn't this because this didn't exist. I mean, in the days of Exodus, this was still being formed. The stories were still happening, right? And so it wasn't the written word of God. So what was it? Where did that word, where did that logos come from? If it wasn't contained in a book like it is for us today, then how did they receive or how did they hear this logos or this word from God? It came through Moses. And so the Old Testament tells us that Moses had these frequent encounters with God. He would meet with God and God would speak to him and deliver these messages to him and say, go and tell the children of Israel such and such, right? Go and deliver this message to the children of Israel. And often you would hear Moses say, the Lord has said, or, or, and, and deliver the message, right? And so as Moses is leading the people of Israel, he's speaking to them on behalf of God. God is communicating his mind, his reasoning, his will through Moses to his people. And yet, they were, even though they were getting this, this message straight from God, this verbal logos, they didn't believe it. They wouldn't trust it, right? They, they didn't trust it enough to be patient and to follow God even through the difficulties. And so that Logos was not able to influence them or they, they, were, they did not submit themselves to let that word of God influence and shape them. They were disobedient to the word of God. They didn't cling to the word that God was sharing with them, right? They didn't trust in the word. They didn't have that relationship with God's word. You get what I'm saying here? They missed out on something that God wanted for them because of their lack of faith and obedience with God's word. They heard the message. They didn't have faith in the message. They didn't let the message impact them and influence them. So now we go back to our passage for today. Let's look at closer to chapter 12. If you look at uh, verse 11, he says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He says, let's look at their example. They didn't have the right relationship with the word of God, so it didn't have power in their lives, right? It didn't change them. It didn't lead them to what God wanted for them. And he says, let's, let's strive to make sure that doesn't happen to us, that none of us have that same kind of disobedience to God's word, right? And then he says, for the word of God is living and active. That word, the word, in verse 12 is the same as the message in verse 2. It's the Logos. And so he says, the Logos of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it's able to pierce into our souls and our spirits. The word that we have in front of us, this Bible, this is God's written Logos, right? In the Old Testament, God spoke his word to his people. Over the years, the word has been compiled in written form and put together for us so that right now this book that we have in our hands contains all the word or the logos or the mind and the truth of God, right? And so if we want to know what God says to us, if we want to know what God wants for us, we can read it right here. Now, does that mean that God also doesn't still speak to us and deliver his logos to us in other ways? Of course, Jesus, Jesus was the logos of God, right? He was the expression of God's word. God speaks to us in lots of different ways as well. But God wants us to have this relationship with his word where we not just hear it, but we believe it. 
and we allow it to have influence in our lives. He doesn't want us to be disobedient like the children of Israel in the book of Exodus who were limited and prevented from entering God's rest. He says, I have more for you and I want to shape your life. And that happens when you pay attention to my word, to my logos and what I'm communicating to you. And when you have that, that relationship with the logos of God, where you allow it to speak to you, to convict you, to expose where you're wrong and where you need growth and change, where you allow it to teach you, that's what the word of God wants to do in our lives, right? This word is powerful because the God who spoke it is powerful. So going back to my, one of my initial points, it's not a book of magic. It's not a spell book, right? You don't just quote scripture and poof, everything's magically fixed in your life, right? And you don't just read it and then poof, you're changed. God wants to work through his logos, his word, to conform us to his way of thinking, to his way of seeing the world, to to his way of, of us experiencing his blessings, right? One of my greatest desires in life is that God's people would experience all that God has for them. Because I think that so many Christians are held back from experiencing all that God has for them because of things like disobedience and sin or, or confusion, right? Or, or idolatry. Sometimes, to be truthful with you, this can become an idol in our lives. Because we, 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 we read this and we, we love it, but we get so caught up in all the teachings and all the doctrine and all the, and all the facts that we miss the God who's wanting to communicate to us through this, right? This leads us to God. God wants to use this as a tool to change us, right? This is powerful because God is powerful. God has something to communicate to us. And so the scriptures, he uses the scriptures in a powerful way to expose things in us that need to be changed. And the way that that happens is if we we believe in it, we have faith in it, we trust what he wants to do through the word of God. We commit ourselves to that process. And so I just want to invite you today to just begin to value the scriptures even more today. And to understand what kind of a role the word of God can have in your life. Understand what kind of power God wants to achieve or what God wants to bring about in your life. Right? Like God wants to bring transformation to you and he speaks to you about that through this. This is not just a book of facts. It isn't just a theology book. It's not just a bunch of stories that are interesting to read, right? It's not just love letters. They are, they are words spoken and put together by God himself. He wants to use to shape us and influence us. And so my challenge to you, going back to that quote, is to let the Bible read you. Let it expose some things about you, right? Be obedient to the word of God. Let the Holy Spirit work through his word to teach you and to show you how God wants you to live. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing one last song. Let me pray.